0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos.
1: And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends
0: ever since. We had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other.
1: And in our 30s, we got married.
0: Then we had babies within weeks of each other.
1: Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had,
0: parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause.
1: We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other
0: average parents. We make it look easy. Yeah, we're average, not experts, so we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts,
1: and I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way.
0: Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: (laughs) So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When
2: everybody sees it, they stop and take a look.
0: A strong marriage is better for your health, your finances, your kids, and your happiness. That makes sense, right? Absolutely. No brainer. So what makes a strong marriage? Oh, I bet you get a lot of different answers on that one. Yeah. I mean, clearly love. love yeah. Right? Respect. Sure. Communication. Mm-hmm. Trust. Sure. Anything else? Um, intimacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... What else? Well, humor. Oh, totally humor. Yeah, I mean
1: that's how that's
0: how I found Doug. Was, yeah. Well, so how, when did you know you wanted to marry Doug?
1: Um, honestly, we were dating for a while, and we were at a family, like his cousins or like a family friend or something, and he was playing with all the kids <laughs> of the because we were younger compared to the other adults that were there that already had like seven-year-olds and he was like peter pan which i know you're gonna laugh because it's totally true that's doug um they were all over him like white on rice and just thought he was so fine he's opposite of me like he's just kind of free like just just chill he's a giant kid he's a kid he's yeah. a complete kid he is my third
0: kid well he was my first kid <laughs> um and that's when i knew how about you um, well, I want to say truthfully, um, when we all get together, Doug handles all the kids. Like It's like having a babysitter. <laughs> <Doug camp>. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I do love that. Yes. Um, in similar ways, Clark is kind of my opposite. Um, he, I knew I wanted to marry him when we spent an entire day not talking. And it was okay? Yep. I felt no need to fill the space. And for you, that's probably really hard. That's really hard. So yeah. I remember just we were sitting on the couch or we watching TV. It was like uh, it was the day after my brother's wedding, and I was like, "This is so easy. yeah, comfortable. Um, yeah. And I'd never experienced that before. Um, so all right, so we know that we we love our spouses for yes. wh- what they how they compliment us. Yes, um, love, respect, communication. But n- a new book suggests science plays an important role, okay? So Belinda Luscombe has been writing about marriage at Time magazine for more than a decade. And now she's come out with a book titled Marriageology, The Art and Science of Staying Together. Belinda, thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks for having me. So let's start by debunking a myth. And that
2: is, we all have a soulmate. Not true? Well... The myth is that we can find that soulmate, that we are on this, that when we are looking for a spouse or a life partner, we're on this kind of search for this one person who will complete us, who is perfect for us, and, and you know, that, the, that, that something will strike us. I love your stories of when you knew that you were going to marry your spouses because they're not insanely romantic. It's not like you saw them across a crowded room or the sun opened or anything like that. <laughs> exactly. It's like... Yeah, it's like this is a person with whom I could spend my life. this is a person with whom I see a future. So you don't find a soulmate, you become one. Marriage I think we sometimes think of as the sort of the end of the race, like you've run and you've crossed the ribbon and you've got your reward, and it's more really like the start, the starting block. It's like now you're starting on a whole new thing and it's a marathon, so pace yourself.
0: And in the book you actually mentioned that you know the wedding, the big party is it's backwards you have this big party to celebrate something that you haven't even really done yet
2: Right, yeah. and then we and then all the presents peter out. Like I've been looking at that sort of list of presents, and you you get one for your first, and second, and third, and fourth, and they have all these recommendations of what it should be. And then when you get to fifteen, they're like, eh, now we don't bother till twenty. And I'm like, what the heck? I mean, that's when it starts <laughs> to get hard. Why am I not getting a reward now? This is, the marriage was easy. That's a fun day, man. Yeah, <laughs> who needs presents then? That that's when I was laughing
1: out loud at the very beginning in the introductions because you're like, any fool can be married for a year you you can get through uh the first 3 years on fumes alone from your honeymoon which is so true cuz you're okay. still like writing your thank you notes and you're like hi on life like this was awesome our Hawaii vacation was so cool and, and everything else and then it's like 15 years later which i'm now 16 years this year it's
2: like this wow again this again still yes. this is what i have to deal with yeah Yeah, totally. That's the that's when you need to sort of get the rewards. I think people should say, and in fact, I will 16 years. Good for you. You go, girl.
1: Thank you very much. In your introduction to the book, you say marriage is worth fighting for um, and that it's good for people, especially with three B's. And you list three things, um, body, bank and bed. Could you explain That's that? right.
2: And this is not my, I want to stress, I'm not a therapist, I'm just a journalist, but this is what the studies seem to suggest, that especially if you're a guy, you will be healthier if you stay married. Um, and and the thing is, it can't be any, you know, it can't just be a, a dead marriage. It's not just having somebody around to call 911. It has, <laughs> it, has to be a, it has to be a, you know, a happy marriage. There's this very, very long Harvard study, I think it's 80 years Long, where they've—it's a—you know—they've looked at lots of—I mean—I think it's mostly Harvard graduates—and they found that one of the biggest predictors of how healthy. a A man will be at eighty is how happy he was with his marriage when he was fifty. I saw, which is incredible, really. Yeah, Um, that that this and that was their big finding from this study. So, for men, if you stay and you're happily married, then that's really good for your health. For women, it tends to be more, even in this day and age, that. For your wealth, you actually are going to be better off financially if you stay married because splitting up with a partner is always going to be expensive. Um, And pretty much for everybody, married people and every married person I I tell this is completely shocked, but married people have more sex than single people.
0: It makes sense. I mean, because if you're single... You can't bump you into somebody. It. Yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. You can't just roll over. Exactly. Um, you can't do the, as I talk about in the book, to the shock of so many of my friends, the sort of 3 a.m. quickie to get someone to sleep. Yeah. Yes.
0: I, I, My mouth was wide open during that one. Um, uh, also, I need to tell you, Belinda, my husband is 49, so I better up my game so, he <laughs> so he's healthier at 80, huh? Yeah. <laughs> So in marriageology uh, you focus on six challenges all married couples need to master and I find it very funny that they're all f words none provocative. of them yes
2: that's a coincidence do yes. you think yes,
0: yes. Yeah. Um, so the listing them it's familiarity fighting finances family Fooling around, which you said was not your original title. Um, yeah, they
2: wouldn't let me have my original title, no. family and all that. Yeah, the
0: book and all that. Yeah, right. Um, and and find, finding help. Finding help. So, how is familiarity a challenge? You, you talk about your husband Jeremy, uh, the architect, and lovely man. Yes, I, I totally want to like get a coffee with him. Um, but <laughs> so, how is how is familiarity a challenge?
2: Because the things that um make him such an interesting guy also make him such a frustrating guy and that is true of everyone and they don't change He and and I, as somebody who um, have to live with him every day, found these things charming when I first met him, but I've now been married 28 years, and so 28 years in, I'm like, oh my goodness, this again. So I tell the story about how every time my husband wants something, he, he cannot bring himself to say, could you get me something? He always has to say, do we have any?
1: Yeah, so and you know damn well you have it. Like you well, brought up the envelope.
2: It. it'll be like, "Do we have any salt?" And you're like, "Well, you know we have salt. It's in the cupboard." Just say, "Can you get me some salt?" But if I know that, then why can't I just say, "Oh, he wants me to get salt because his hands are filthy, or whatever." He's he's the family chef. I have to point out, okay. and um, and but it's it just drives me bananas that he cannot actually phrase it as a request to me i don't it feels passive aggressive to me but you know uh, why why should that drive me mad why should it make me want to poke his eyes out i don't <laughs> know it's because of familiarity familiarity is the breeding ground of contempt and we have to be really careful that we don't let our understanding and sometimes completely understandable frustration with our spouses sort of Seep on over into having a, like a scornful attitude towards them.
0: Yes, I agree. It's a, it could be a slippery slope. So, do you suggest? And I know you're not a therapist, but so are we supposed to say, if you want the salt, how about you ask for the salt?
2: You know, um, the sort of ways that they um, that you fight uh, contempt and the creeping of contempt, according to the studies and the therapists. Uh, number one is that you try to be much more grateful. That you you know that you look at all the things that you are probably driving your spouse crazy mm-hmm. with, and, um, and and just practice a, a, a sort of an, a better attitude of gratitude and to be more I think, and this is true of fighting as well. We're bleeding into fighting because all these things are sort of interlinked. But to be more curious and furious with people, you have that you had that great list of things that you think you need in a marriage, and one of the ones I think we sometimes overlook is compassion that people are doing the best they can you know, to be good spouses. And you got to sort of cut them a little slack.
0: Well, so you, you mentioned fighting. And um, it, it's interesting, my husband and I rarely fight. Uh, that's probably because he is this really patient, tolerant, he's pretty patient. <laughs> yeah. um, and when we do fight, it's often because I've done something wrong. Um, and I'm, I'm quick to recognize that now. And I apologize. Sometimes it takes me a while. Um, and sometimes I do go to bed mad.
2: Um, but Is
0: fighting bad or is it okay?
2: Fighting is okay. Um, it's like saying it's anger bad or it's okay. It's what you do with your angle or it's the way that you fight. I fight all the time with my spouse. I'm not like you at all. Both of us are impatient. We live in New York City. It's always very high stress wherever we go. So we fight a lot. I may or may not have even fought on Father's Day just after just the <laughs> book came out. So a little awkward with my friends, and they're all congratulating you on the book, and you're like, thanks very much, but I'm fighting with them at the moment. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we fight. It's a matter of of how do you solve these disagreements? How do you do it in a way that doesn't make your spouse feel attacked? How do you do it in a way that stands up for you but is not uh, a, makes does not make your spouse feel unsafe? And there's sort of very, I found the research in this chapter very helpful for me. Because um, there's some very very simple things you can do instead of saying you always or you never approach a fight with I find this difficult or I'm having a problem here, and then they you know they they they're more inspired to try and be helpful rather than defensive.
1: Yeah, put them that's, on their heels when yeah, you say so statements really, like that.
2: Don't don't try and fight when you're hungry or your spouse is hungry, you know, that's, as you know, being moms, that's when the tantrums happen, when somebody is tired or hungry. Hangry. uh, Hangry. We call it hangry. That's why I say it's completely fine to go to bed angry if you have to, because in the morning after you've rested, you will just be more rational. You'll just be more rational. In fact, you may find that the the fight has just disappeared overnight. It just doesn't seem as a big bigger deal. Um, and then I think that the apology and the seeking of forgiveness is really, really key. And the, I see this all the time as a journalist where people make a public apology and they go, I'm sorry if you were offended. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. you just destroyed any chance you have of being forgiven right there. Right. Because to say I'm sorry if is to say, there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry if it's wrong with you, you know. Just it's, say, I'm sorry that I did X and leave it right there.
1: It's not full ownership. It's kind of putting it off on the other person like, well, I was okay with it, but you had a problem with it, like type of thing.
2: Exactly. You're saying, you're still saying you're the problem. Yeah. You're Let, not saying I understand that you have a grievance. And if they've, and I'm sorry if that upset you. It's crazy. I just spent or you just spent five minutes, maybe more, explaining to me why you're upset. So there's no if in this equation. Clearly someone's upset.
0: And there's also not a but you don't, you don't say, I'm sorry, you're upset, but, you know, because... That's like, we call it,
1: we call it caboosing in our house. Like when you have a statement and then you just, you should have put a period at the end of it.
2: Just, right. That's great. I love caboosing. Yeah. I call that an apology assassin. Like, you just <laughs> don't even bother because you just the but means, again, I'm not taking full responsibility. I'm not expressing remorse. You know, this apology, it's a worthless thing. It's a it's a faux apology.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about finances. Why does why does money? I mean, I think I know, but why does money matter so much?
2: I think because of all the things that people fight about, money is the one that is very existential. It can actually destroy your life if you lose all your money. You can lose your home. You can lose your uh, you know the ability to pay bills, the ability to get food. I mean, money is right where we the one thing that we absolutely have to have to survive in this day and age. So. Right. I think that is um, people fight about sex because it's depressing or parents because they're anxious, you know, their children, because they're anxious. But money is the one that really, I think, drives at the heart of um, like a very, very axe actually primal fear and i you know also i think it's changed you know women tend to make more money than they used to um money also represents the same thing that sex does it you know who has the power in the relationship who has the um who has the control um but i think uh, th- those can also be represented uh, through other things that you thought about money is the only one that really will um could really destroy you
0: I want to bring up two things from the book. You talk about financial infidelity, and then you also talk about debt. How do those play into a marital relationship?
2: Well, both of them um, uh, can be a leave a spouse with a feeling of betrayal. So if you, financial infidelity is when you have been taking the marital assets and you have been spreading them around in a way that your spouse doesn't know about, and they suddenly feel like they've given you this all this trust – and you have kind of blown it, and that's why they use the word infidelity because it feels I think a little bit like when you uh, act out and sleep you know with someone else, you've betrayed this sort of trust.
1: You haven't been transparent and about what you've spent your money on or whatever. what you've spent
2: your money on, and debt is something that I think can lead to resentment. If you don't talk to people about your debt, if uh, some people I think go into marriage thinking that their debt will not be their spouse's problem or their spouse's problem, uh, their spouse's debt won't be theirs, but that's actually not what we do when we get married. When we get married, it's actually like a little – I keep saying this, and Americans don't love it, but it's like a little microcosm of communism because it's like everything you have, every problem you have, I will share with you, and every piece of wealth I have, everything I own, I will share with you. So it's, it's, it's very – it's hyper-sharing.
1: So let's turn on to, um, move on to the other F word, family, uh, which we are a parenting podcast. So you tell you're a story. We're the experts here. <laughs> no, we're absolutely average, Belinda. Um, you tell a story about um, locked bikes and parenting. So <laughs> how, how does having kids affect a marriage? I mean, I think I, I know from having my own family, but you're, you're a journalist and been following this for years. What,
2: what are you seeing The studies are very clear that when a child enters a family, marital satisfaction dips quite precipitously, especially in the first year. Um, And I think that's a little bit because it used to be a two-way street but now you've you've put a third party in there, and that third party is a huge time and attention and devotion suck. Yes, it's just so much uh, of your life that you thought was your own is now going to have to be spent looking after that small child. And I think it just people get a horrible shock because they thought a lot of people think that it's just going to be so much fun to have kids, right. and then they get the child home and they realize, oh, good lord. This is a lot of work um, and a lot of attention. And I think that's why um, – I think it's a bandwidth issue and a sort of a shock issue. And that's why, to begin with, marital sac- satisfaction dips when you have kids.
1: Yeah, you said having them to save a marriage is like setting your boat on fire so it doesn't sink. That was <laughs>
2: <laughs> Exactly. People – remember back in the day? I don't think people say it anymore because we've got so wise, but or we've got so wise about how much work childcare is. It, you know, people used to say, oh, well, they had kids to save the marriage. And I'm like, what would you do? That's the worst idea ever. Yeah. I, I do think also the way we parent, and you would know more about this perhaps than me, which is it's so intensive now. We kind of curate children rather than actually raise them. You know, it's not like just run along and play outside. It's very, very, it requires a lot of intensive focus. And it's very ridden with anxiety because it's so public and people who make parenting mistakes, it's like they're, you know, they're sort of criminals. Yes. It's not like, whoops. Eh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. It's you, how dare you? You've done the worst thing. This, this is a, a breaking of some kind of sacred vow. What were you thinking when you did that or whatever? Yeah, so, and there's been, you know, really interesting um, books written about that, about how we really judge parents now. And, um, and so I just think it's become a much more stressful activity. And then obviously you and your spouse. Nobody sits down and thinks and goes through the actual granular stuff of the decisions, the, the many decisions you have to make every day with a child, and thinks that they will agree on them all. Well, so when the kids get
0: older, does that change when, let's say, mom goes back to work? How does that affect the marriage?
2: I think um, it, it can be... Uh, I think it can be great and it can be terrible, but you have to, you know, the the couple has to adjust. The problem at the moment is that the data shows that the mums are still doing the bulk of the childcare and the bulk of the housework. Ding, 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 Um. ding, ding, ding. Yep. Even if they're working full time. And this, on the you know, American time use surveys seems to make this really clear. And there is some disagreement in the scholarship because, you know, the guys tend to work, um, tend to be the, still to be the primary um, breadwinners and tend to have to work a little longer. But it's, um, I think that is, it's incredibly difficult when I think you're a woman and you're Feeling like you have to, and you are working and you are contributing financially to then think why is the entire burden of childcare or most of it. And, and you, I don't have to tell you about the kind of emotional labor of it and the kind of ridiculous amount of sort of bureaucratic paperwork that falls on the mom, like all the forms and the camps and the planning. And if you have a, 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 a childcare giver, or a childcare centre, you're generally the person who's working with all of that, doing all the coordinating. So the mental labour yes. really falls on the mum. So I think that is really hard. And I, I personally, I haven't got the data on this, think that that is why more women than men end up filing for divorce. Mm. Wait, say that one more time. More women. Two thirds of divorces these days are filed by women.
1: Wow. So yeah. so I'm fo- we're focusing on family a whole bunch, but one of the things also was like talking about uh, different parenting styles, um, like a permissive parent. There's always like a heavy in every family that oh, really? there's a good cop, bad cop yes. kind of thing yeah. that goes on. How does that right. play a role in, in the health of the marriage?
2: Well, I think um, uh, you always feel like that you it's you against the kids And when it's you against the kids and your other spouse, that's incredibly isolating. So the studies seem to suggest that it's actually more important for you to present a united front, even if you don't in that very moment agree on the parenting decision, and then discuss it afterwards. I like this one woman I interviewed. She had this description of raising kids as one of you driving the getaway car and the other one robbing the bank. (laughs) because this is this sort of tricky thing that you have to pull off. And you both have different sort of skills and ideas about how it should be done and it's really important to work as a team. You can't rob a bank without a getaway car and having yeah. a getaway car is just driving fast if you aren't robbing a bank. So <laughs> yeah. um so I, 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 I tended to be the uh, authoritarian one in my family and I just, you know, unless I could get my husband on side beforehand, I tended to lose all my battles. So yeah. Um so I, I think you have to – those are – you know, there's times for some, some discussions, some closed-door discussions with your spouse after an incident's taken place. Where possible – don't disagree in front of the kids.
0: Yes, sure.
2: On on parenting them, you can disagree about other stuff, but on sort of, if, because they will also they're wily those children, and they'll pay one against the other. Oh, oh yeah. They'll say, well, mom said and dad said. So yeah, yeah. they
1: they're smart little whippersnappers. <laughs> oh, yeah, they can sense where there's a weakness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they'll yeah, find they're it. Very very high on the EQ. Yeah. Yes. So on to fooling around. Um. Mm, hardest you, one. The yes. hardest one, I think. So you mentioned that between 2 and 10% of marriages are sexless, and nationally, sex has seen a downturn. What is the crisis of desire?
2: The crisis of desire is that we do not crave what we already have. So the things that we love in being married, which is that we have somebody who's always there, that is loyal, that is responsible, that is a wonderful caregiver, that's completely, uh, you know, we can always count on. These are not sexy things. These are not erotic things. Oh, well, you know, I just love the way, honey, you're so reliable. You know, it <laughs>
1: I love, it (laughs) makes me so excited to see you come home at 5 o'clock every day.
2: Oh, fantastic. The way, mm, mm-mm, I just can't can't wait till tonight after you've looked after the kids so well that you're smell of vomit you know it's, it's it's very very hard so uh so i think that is uh one of the um that's one of the things that's behind the crisis of desire there's also a very interesting thing happening in american and other societies which is just that everybody's having a lot less sex it's uh, reported in the surveys, which they do ask every 10 years, you know, how much sex are you having? And pe- the people who report are ha- reporting having it once a week or more has really dropped across the board, not just single people. But married people as well. So, and nobody really knows what's behind that, except that it sort of started around nineteen ninety eight two thousand, which is when broadband became available. Oh. And so it may be that people are just you know bringing their devices to bed, and I don't mean the sexy devices. I mean yeah.
1: the <laughs> <laughs> I um, knew I knew what you were laying down. I, I got. Yeah. <laughs> they're bringing so, their Netflix uh, iPad into bed.
2: Yeah, and then, you know, they're just, they're sitting there with their sort of, you know, they have that thing in parenting parallel play. There's a lot of parallel play going on in bed, and so it's not really, it's, it's, uh, less opportunistic. So, um, so I think, you know, it uh, this is all guesswork at this point, uh, and I think it is important to privilege sex in your marriage and, uh, and to understand that Sex plays a complicated role in marriage and it's not always going to be the kind of sex that we see in movies or that we read about in books. It's it you know 50 shades of gray is not necessarily where everybody lives. <laughs> no. Well, you talk about scheduling sex. Yeah, I know it does anything sound less erotic than <laughs> scheduling sex. I mean, it sounds like a terrible idea. But it, um, if something is important to you, you schedule it. Like, what do we do that's important? Like, the doctor or whatever that we don't actually plan for. So, and when you do that, I think it takes a lot of the pressure off whoever is the more motivated sexual partner that oh my god we're never going to have it we don't even you know they say well probably we're going to have it tuesday at 4 i'm not suggesting that's a great time by the way because the kids could be home from school so <laughs> yeah. you don't want to you don't want to freak them out but um uh, so scheduling sex, I think, can can work. Uh, I think also you have to, I think a date night is super important, so you can just remind each other. I remember I went on a vacation um, in Italy with my husband, and I took him as a surprise for one of his birthdays, and um, of course, this is not something everybody can do, but after about the third day, I was like, I've got to talk to the kids. I miss them so much, and we called them, and they wouldn't even come to the phone because they were watching Star Wars or something, and I was like, right, I'm done, and when when I focused on my husband more and and was reminded of all the things that I really liked about him, it really kind of, it it changes you. So I think it's really good to have time away from the kids and remember what you found so fascinating about your spouse. Yes. Uh, um, And also I'm, you know, I'm a fan of giving it a go. I I always, I'm, I'm not a fan of waiting for the, for, to be in the mood. I'm like, screw the mood. Let's just, what we can get
0: going. Well, and you've talked about the Spondo and Respo or whatever, someone who's spontaneous and
2: that's, yeah, there's, there's a diff, two different desire models. Some people who like like sex falls the desire for sex falls upon them, you know, where somewhere. But you know, perhaps they saw a plum or something, and um, and other people are like, well, you know, maybe, well, maybe I'll get it going, see what happens, and then the desire sort of arrives a little later. So, and I that's why I'm not always. Um, I think it can be quite d- difficult to just always wait for the mood. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. You have to, maybe you have to start it and then the engine just gets revved up.
2: Yeah. And let's see, like, have a go. And I'm also, I do not think anybody, be, I want to be stressed. I don't want to think anyone should be cursed, coerced into sex or guilted into sex or whatever. But I, I think there is a, there's a difference between being willing to give it a go and wanting to give it a go. And both those, I don't think you should stop you should stop having sex just because you don't want it if you're willing
0: okay okay that's good so let's talk about the final f finding help now you talk about your marriage throughout the book but this one this part was hard to read what yeah. if what if therapy or the airing of grievances actually makes the marriage worse
2: right it can be i mean marital therapy is they say the most difficult therapy to do it's uh, because it's you know it's it's two people and then a third person who's the therapist, it's very, very complicated. And um, and a lot of people I spoke to who had therapy said it just made things worse for them. They just got in there and they began to talk about all the stuff that's upsetting them and then it was fighting afterwards and my husband and I did do a bit of that like I would raise something or he would raise something and then afterwards be, I can't believe you would say that or I can't believe uh-huh. you told the story that way and um, and so sometimes I think it does feel like it's making it worse. Um, our therapist was fantastic and really I credit her with um, saving our marriage because we, we had some around 16 not that I want to scare you <laughs> we had some we um, Maybe skating a little bit just for fun, but um, uh, we had some tough times, and uh, and we did a, we did it for about two years, and it really really helped actually in the end. Although it was a, you know it was a slog at the time.
1: You um you talk about saying
2: thank you in the book. Yeah. Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah, I know. Who would have thought this, right? It seems like such a dumb thing to have to say thank you to your spouse because what the heck, you know, my spouse makes the coffee every morning, but I make the bed, so why should I thank him? Like, it's it's Well, that's kind of what I think. <laughs> yeah, but it turns out that just the um, the psychology of it, it makes a huge difference because you begin to, A, look for things that your spouse is doing, and so you begin to sort of change your perspective, on how little they're doing or on what they bring to your life and also your spouse feels appreciated because yes you don't have to say thank you but it costs you nothing and they feel better about it and they feel noticed and then it's very hard i think for gratitude and resentment to exist in the same in the same world they kind of dissolve each other so so when you are grateful sort of keeps resentment at bay, especially if people think they aren't being noticed. Okay. And I think that is a big thing in marriages. People just think, I'm so taken for granted here. Nobody cares. I, I could be a, a phantom in my own home and just say thank you, even for little things. I think it, it makes no normal difference. And it's not just what I think. The studies are really clear on this, that gratitude is a... Huge, huge um, benefit for married people. Just expressing gratitude it changes a lot. Okay, I'm going
0: to put that back. in my pocket. So,
2: right, um, that th- is the simplest hack in the whole book. I think. <laughs> so look for things to say thank you and uh, and try it. After all, yeah, like I said, it doesn't cost you a cent.
0: Right. Finally, you say people considering divorce might want to wait. Why is that?
2: study of um, these people who were having Bites and considering divorce as a longitudinal study and they came back and i think it's i would have to look at the study again to be to be completely clear but i think they came back about 7 years later and they and a bunch of them some of them had divorced and some of them hadn't and the ones who hadn't divorced even though they'd been quite serious about divorce were incredibly grateful they hadn't divorced mm. and they'd realized that it was just a rough patch they were going through and, and in fact felt really glad to still be married so um, some of them said therapy helped and a lot of them said it didn't. But um, I think what, what we find, what is quite a well-known um, life course Um, discovery is that we go through, that life is a little bit U-shaped, that you go through a dark patch, and then that you come up the other side, and you'll get happier as you get older. So I'm not saying if if your marriage is terrible and high conflict and abusive, or anybody feels in danger, that you shouldn't get out now, you definitely should. But if it's just a nagging um, disappointment, and you you, it's probably worth... Seeing if therapy helps. Seeing if uh, reading a couple of books helps. Seeing if some of these simple ideas, like going on a date every week or going on a vacation with just your spouse, might make it better. Because the upside is so up. You, you as we've talked, if your your health will be better, your wealth will be better. The studies on um, children's happiness, you know, are not encouraging about divorce. Most kids from divorce are fine, but. Uh, there's, there's very few children who want their parents to actually divorce.
0: Yeah, And I'm reminded of one thing you also said, which was, this is the only relationship you choose.
2: Exactly. And you have to, you know, we think that we choose it on, you know, that one great day that you got married, I chose you. But in fact, you you choosing somebody is an ongoing act. You continue to choose them. And, you know, we say, you know, when we tell people we love them, It's, it's actually not always about a feeling. It's about a choice that we make to love them, to do the things that, that show love, which we do for our children all the time because it's completely natural. We do things that we wouldn't, could not believe we're doing. And, um, I think with spouses, sometimes we need a little bit of that kind of love of, of, and it's, I know even as I say it, it sounds super old fashioned, but, um, but it actually is quite radical um this idea of choosing somebody over ourselves yeah
1: the 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 one thing i another thing that you said about it was people attempt to pick open the seams of their lives and their hearts and stitch the other person into them assume, and then assume the resulting garment will always be perfectly comfortable and that was an interesting metaphor for me because i was like yeah you know you're 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 really integrating another human being into your life and trying to mesh with that person <laughs> forever and so yeah, why, some... would, why would we
2: think that would be easy? Yeah, <laughs> because none of it sounds easy. Yeah. And why would we think, you know, oh yeah, this is perfectly natural. I yeah. can do this. Why? Why am I having trouble with this? I right. think the surprising thing is if you, uh, you know, as, as one of you said, if you don't fight, well, well that's great. Um, and that surprises me because, you know, just watch any bus or plane where there's not quite enough space for the luggage. People just don't get on. It's not natural for us,
0: right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Belinda Luscombe, author of *Marriageology: The Art and Science of Staying Together*. Um, this book, great book. Yeah, I'm giving it's it funny. to everyone I know. And um, oh, thank
2: you so much, guys.
0: Yeah, and I will be making my husband read it too. I mean, asking him politely, <laughs> and then thanking
2: and him, and then thanking him. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe say it's it's sort of funny. Okay, yeah, just sort of funny. It has sex in it, but not particularly good sex, yeah, so
0: There's you know. f words in it, honey. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Belinda. Thanks for having me. Really fun to chat.
1: So apparently, marriage is a process. Yeah, yeah, and we need to protect it. Yep, you know, we're trying. We're we're stitching someone else into our
0: the fabric of our, our life. So it, it's not just you. It's not just him. It's the two of you. Yep. And that's a thing beyond the two, right? Right, and beyond the kids, and it requires work. But as Belinda says, it's worth it,
1: I, and the I studies think so. prove that it's worth it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this book literally was so funny. Um, the things that I was reading, I was like, yes, yes. The envelope, the it, it was it was really funny. The high. She mentioned it was like um, a high wire act, public, rewarding, and quite difficult to pull off. Which yep. I thought was funny because sometimes I do feel like I'm on a high
0: rope. Yes, <laughs> so, and you mentioned the envelope thing. I'm not sure if we talked about it, but her husband, apparently, whenever he needs an envelope, says, "Hey, do we have any envelopes?" <laughs> and And you know, she talked about, "Do we have any salt, right? Yeah. You know, but she, he knows where the envelopes are. they are They are in a specific spot, yes, and he just wants her to get them. Yes, yeah, and
1: that happens in my house <laughs> like on a regular basis. Yes, like yes. hello. right. So thanks for listening. Um, again, we're in season four already, and, um, there's just no shortage of topics to cover. And, um, hopefully you'll go out and check out Belinda's book. It's really funny. Um, you can check out our previous season episodes if you're just, uh, late to the game here <laughs> and, and just discovering us. We'd love for you to check out our other podcasts from past seasons. You can go to WGNradio.com and click on WGN Plus. Uh, we're in the lifestyle category. Or you can find us on iTunes and subscribe there or anywhere, really, that you get your podcasts.
0: Um, and, then, and leave reviews. We you know, we want to hear what you guys think. And, yes. and if you want something specific, um, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We have a Facebook page. Give us a call at 331-704-0046 or email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently.
2: We make it look easy, we make it look good When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look